Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. That's the electric. Wow, that's crazy. It's cool, right? Bravo, Fender. Yeah, they really nailed it. Because, you know, like that acoustic electric mix is kind of hard to pull off and it's always ropey. You know, who both got... things are ropey. This is like both things are good. They I... just, it's like a $2,000 guitar. Oh, really? Yeah. I think, um, what's the real fancy company? Paul Reed Smith? Didn't they do one yeah. with like a, uh, a piezo in it? Probably. Supposed to simulate. But it didn't, didn't make it. Not like that. Nah, this one, they nailed it. I got two of these from Fender. They gave them to me. Sweet. Yeah, they're really sweet. I didn't know they were generous like that. But I went, I, went to Na- I went to NAMM and then played it at their booth. And I got a friend who works over there. So, if you need a hookup. Never been a name. Um, I've been a Gibson guy. Yeah. Gibson artist. And, uh, but I don't know what's going on over there at the company these days. I know, I know they stopped giving away stuff. I haven't even tried. Um, right. I just got a nice Zemitis. You ever play those? No. You know the metal engraved fronts? Beautiful guitars. What is it called? Zemitis. Zemitis? Yeah. Zemitis Ron- Touch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Zemitis was a Greek guy who... Uh, Designed them. <clears throat> Ronnie Wood used to use them in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, James Hunterman Scott from the Pretenders. You like Ronnie Wood? I like Ronnie. Do you, did you ever listen to I've Got My Own Album to do? Oh, yeah. Isn't that a great one? Yeah. Uh, Mystifies Me is on Mystify that record? Mystify Me is one of the Fuck. most beautiful songs. It's gorgeous. Track two. And uh, E. McCloggan did a version of it, too. I don't know who that is. That's the keyboard player from the Faces. Oh, oh really? Small Faces, Faces. Oh, okay. Yeah. He did one... Uh, it was called, what the, oh, I can't remember the name of the album now, Little Troublemaker. Little Troublemaker? Yeah, that's a great version. Oh, he cool. sings. He sings like Rod, Ian. Does he? Mac, they call him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not well versed in that band. Yeah, I, I love the, the faces and the, and the stones in that era. Yeah. What do you love about it? Just a lot of soul with, you know, it was... Boogie rock and roll, 70s, you know, blue, yeah. blues-based stuff, but it had, like, a real soul element to the singing. Yeah. Which is... And the style of it, too. I mean, yeah. the fashion and everything. The swagger, like yeah. The, the swagger. You know, yeah, and, you know, the, the pirate shirts. and Yeah. Never got into those myself, but... Really? <laughs> no. You seem like you could pull that off easy. I could, but it would be yeah. too obvious. <laughs> so I wear T-shirts. You're half pirate right now. <laughs> yeah, you look fantastic. I'm really feeling super underdressed. <laughs> it's my usual Friday afternoon Man, morning. Man, you look great, Steve. <laughs> Steve Conti is here. Is that how you say it? Steve, That's right. Steve Thank Conti. Um, fantastic guitar player, singer-songwriter. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Well, thank you. I'm a fan of your stuff, too. Thank you. I was starting to tell you before the uh, cameras and audio were rolling. I saw you do a gig at the Mercury Lounge. I don't know. must have been... Could it have been late 90s or early 2000s? Yeah. When you were on Peter Gabriel's label? That's right. And he was, and, uh, was he there. He was there. Yeah. I, happened, I had my back turned for a second. You were doing your looping thing, and it was awesome. 
And uh, for some reason, my face was away from the stage, and all of a sudden I heard this voice. It just penetrated me and, and just transformed the whole room. And I heard, whoa! I turned around, fucking Peter Gabriel was on the stage. Yeah. I was like, God damn, what a voice. He sang I know. on stage? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, we sang together a few times. Wow. Yeah, he's got an insane voice. Yeah. It's like wow. spirit yeah. comes from it. I don't know. It's wild. It's deep. I think you just sing one note. It's like the the tone, just the sandpaper, yeah. but yet really melodic, not, you know, uh, not like a hoarse voice or anything. Like no. mine right now. <clears throat> He's got that gravel in his voice, too. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, uh, how did you start out playing guitar? I was a drummer first. Oh, yeah? And uh, that took me well took me from about age seven to about age 11 and i was getting a pretty good thing going and you started young yeah, seven seven yeah. that's wild did your parents get you a drum set or i started out like one piece at a time first i got a snare drum and a hi-hat and a cymbal yeah and then uh like a couple years later you know and i was just doing the rudiments taking drum lessons and paradiddles then, uh, yeah paradiddles flamacues ratamacues all that and then uh and then my dad bought me a, a, that was a nice Ludwig snare, by the way. I'm so bummed that I left it in my basement. It turned into an oval mm -hmm. with the with the moisture. Um, then he got me a cheap uh, kick drum and, and tom-tom. And uh, so then I had pretty much had a kit. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then my brother, who's a great bass player, who actually played with you on the, um, he wanted me to tell you hi, on the, what was the show you guys did recently? Leon Russell. Oh, the right Leon on. The Russell thing? Yeah. He was the bass player in that he's band. He's cool as hell, yeah. dude. Yeah. Dude is solid. Yeah. Tell him I said what's up. <laughs> yeah, I will. Or shout, shout out, out John yeah. Shout out John Conti. <laughs> yeah, no, he, yeah. he was the star of that show and amongst some stars. Yeah. Yeah. That's my bro. Yeah. Um, we just recorded something new together that I'll tell you about in a minute. But uh, he was playing guitar, and uh, I picked up his guitar one day and just realized... I could write songs if I played on one string yeah. using my fingernail as a pick. Yeah. I was like, I can't be stuck behind the drums. Right. I have to be out there. <laughs> so I switched to guitar, started taking lessons, and uh, within like a year, I was whew, zoomed past him. So he said, "Fuck this!" I went to he went to bass, mm -hmm. and now he's like one of the greatest bass players in New York or or anywhere. He certainly is. Yeah. yeah so. And you too, man. And, you guys are talented it. brood. Did you come from a musical yes, family? Yes, our mom is a jazz singer. Oh, right. I actually so, know that. So uh, <laughs> she she raised us up to play uh, behind her. I started playing like uh, first like church gigs and stuff with her in the, um, when I was like 15. She was you, she brought you to church? Or yeah. was it for singing or was it? No, I mean, she, she was in the, like, there was like a folk group thing happening. It was like when... The organ was just uh, for a minute there, like in the seventies. We were allowed to bring guitars into church. It was like sacrilege before that, and all of a sudden it became cool to have like folk masses and guitars. Mm -hmm. And so people started hiring my mom to sing at their weddings, and I would uh, accompany her on guitar, and uh, we'd do like whatever Peter Paul and Mary or you know whatever song that they wanted really. And uh, so those were like my first paying gigs right and then um when we got a little bit older and learned about jazz and harmony and stuff we would play she was like a billy holiday this billy holiday songbook pretty much wow yeah so we learned all those standards and you know learned how to transpose them into 
into female keys, really. That's a crazy musical education yeah. for a kid. Yeah. How old were you? Well, about 14, 15 when I started doing the church gigs. And then, you know, we'll get, we couldn't play in, in clubs and lounges with her until we were 18. So, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was around then. Like, probably just out of high school. Yeah, and what was your dad the, doing? The drinking age was 18 back then. Yeah. Um, our dad was a, uh, was a jazz aficionado, but he wasn't a, a player. So he had all the records. He was he the had, manager? He, no, no he, was, <laughs> he was the absentee dad. Oh, was he? He passed away last year. But, oh, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? It happens to us all. I know. Um, but uh, he had the records, man. He had the West Montgomery records that I just latched onto right away. And Johnny Smith and all these great guitar players, Miles Davis and uh, Cannonball Adderley, and then, of course, all the singers. Matt and Cannonball yeah. Adderley. Yeah, man. Yeah. Badass mofo. Yeah, I started in kind of a jazz vibe too. Like I was a bass player. I could slap and pop like cra- no, oh, not right. not like that. And and I, you know, I didn't have the parental musical education thing, but I kind of just gravitated towards nerddom, you know, guitar magazines and all that. And one Mark to- King. Oh fuck yeah, level forty two. <laughs> yeah, oh shit, <laughs> level forty two is. I still like them when I hear some there of their. Was something about you. Yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was my shit. I played a couple of gigs opening for them. Are you kidding? I played with a girl called Jill Jones. I was her musical director. She was in Prince, Prince of the Revolution. Band. Yeah. And uh, we rehearsed every day, eight hours a day, five days a week, the entire summer of 1987. And we were supposed to open for Prince on his Sign of the Times tour. And then he canceled Man. the tour. Why? And, uh, yeah. Because the movie that he put out, or no, the tickets weren't selling over here. I guess it was too arty of an album, which is my favorite Prince album, Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times it's is amazing, man. man. Fuck, that's too arty. Yeah, well, but his it movie, was. his movie came out and it was doing well um, the, in, in Europe. Cherry Moon, or was it? No, it was Purple Sign, of the, Sign of the Times. Oh, there was a movie. Yeah, it was a concert movie with like oh. conceptual footage in there. And uh, that was doing well, in, and the tour was doing well in Europe. So he said, fuck it, I'm going to stay in Europe and uh, just release the movie in the States. So we were sitting around going, oh, what do we do now? And uh, so we get these two gigs at Level 42, and then the band broke up. But it was a great band. Yeah, they it were was, sick. You know Lonnie Hillier? No, who's that? Lonnie's a bass player who was in Maggie's Dream. Remember Maggie's Dream? Mm-hmm. And, uh, kind of. What's Maggie's Dream? Maggie's I've Dream. heard of it. But. They were kind of out of the Lenny Kravitz thing. Okay. Uh, they were... Lenny's band for a while. I remember that His backup name. band. Um, I think what was the drummer Tony James maybe. Um, and we had a couple guys that went on to play with Little Steven in the Disciples of Soul, like that first incarnation in the late eighties. Right. Yeah, so it was a good band, and uh, but unfortunately, it lasted two gigs. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of work for two gigs. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing the church gigs and you're learning jazz. And uh, then and then what? And um, you know, playing all the, all the while playing our own rock and roll gigs. You know, we always started. Had, we had the garage bands, you know, and uh, and we played Battle of the Bands in the high schools. And were you guys you know, killing it on Battle of the Bands? Yeah, we won a couple of Battle of the Bands. I could know? see it. The <laughs> brother connection. There was a brothers in my high school called Trent and Troy Barry. They were identical twins, and they were like the sickest musicians, and they couldn't be beat. <laughs> Like, what so are they we, doing now? They're still doing it. They're, Where are you from? Ohio, Akron. Oh, right. Oh, right on. Yeah. 
good pedigree from there, man. Yeah. Chrissy and yeah, rock and roll yeah. comes from places that yes. you know you need to go into your imagination to get out of. I think, you know. So, so you guys were winning Battle of the Bands, and you and your yeah. brother. Yeah, and um, you know we played like the teen dance nights, you know, at the high school, and like Teen Wolf or like Michael J. Fox <laughs> movie or some <laughs> shit. Back to the Future, the Swim Club, and yeah. you know, and all that. And I remember we. Then I had another band without my brother, and and we did. Uh, you betrayed him. Yeah, because I started hanging out with like older kids from high school who had already gotten out of high school, uh-huh. and they were driving, and they were like of drinking age, so yeah. you know it was like party time. That happened to me too. And uh, so I was hanging out with these old, all these older guys, and we went and we played our first gig. We got a manager, we had a booking agent, you know, local guys, but in in New Jersey, and uh, our first gig, we were about to go on. And our drummer gets busted in the parking lot for weed. Mm-hmm. Never went on. Manager dropped us. Agent dropped us. Band broke up the next day. Canceled. Yep. That's wild. So this was <laughs> that happen- kind of stuff. This kind of happened to you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All the preparation and then kaput. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah. Well, it happens to bands, you know. Why didn't it's, you hop see, on the drums instead and do the gig? Um, Come on, he was already established, yeah, I was, bro. Yeah, I had, my could, goal, I had my gold top, man. He could play West Montgomery at that point. No, I think at that point I was more, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd get there. But um, at that point I was like more, uh, you know, uh, what was his name? Paul Kossoff. You know, I was in a free and, and bad company and all that like uh, 70s, you know, yeah. blues rock. Jeff you know? Beck. Jeff Beck, of course. Wired and blow by blow. Loved them. Right? Wired just kicked my ass. That's when I... Dude, Blow by Blow is insane. I heard, probably heard Blow by Blow first, but when I, got, when I heard Wired, it was just like, this guy is insane. I have to get everything. Then I went back. It was only then that I went back and heard Truth and, and um, Bacola and all that stuff. Like, the ones much with, later, with the ones with Rod Stewart with singing. The singing on it. Yeah. I didn't like it as much as when he made instrumental ones. He had that little period, that Blow by Blow... Wired and then uh, just there and, there, there and back was there okay. It was a little too techno. Guitar shop. Guitar too. shop is kind of weird. It's weird and techno, but there's some amazing shit on there too. And the thing with and, him is, it's like always like, oh, I'd rather work on cars. Yeah. Well, how about the one? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the guitar shop. Yeah. I think he's even got like some drills. You know? No, it's like, and the guitar is <laughs> is like risen up, yeah. like he's underneath the guitar working on it. He did another one too, the Big Town Playboys. You ever hear that one? The Rockabilly record. Uh uh-uh. uh Oh man, it's really good. I can't imagine. I mean, he's such an unusual guitar player. Well, he loves Cliff Gallup from Gene Vincent. So in the Blue Caps. So wow. Um, I like that a guy named Cliff Gallup plays rockabilly. Yeah. Like a, yeah, exactly. a horse galloping <laughs> to a rockabilly beat. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, and I love that stuff too, which uh, kind of is a nice segue into that. Uh, I just started playing with Robert Gordon, who you, you might know, the Who's rockabilly, rockabilly uh, legend from here, from oh, okay. New York, you know, from the late 70s. You know, my gal is red hot. Uh-huh. You know, that's him. And Chris Spedding and Link Ray were in his band. Right. And um, now when uh, Spedding moved back to uh, England, he's been playing with Brian Ferry. And when he's not in the States, I've been doing gigs with uh, Robert, which is great because it's just like a little slap back on him. You know, I have yeah. Les Paul Jr., a little slap back on it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. What do you use for the slap back? A little... Um, 
MXR pedal, analog, okay. analog delay. I got one. <laughs> I got the, the tremolo pedal. I got the deluxe. carbon copy. Yeah, I got the yeah. carbon copy deluxe with tap tempo. Oh, really? You so don't you don't need that with the slapback. I should have that though for my other gigs, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I didn't know they made one. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. Guitar Center. <laughs> Not to do a plug for Guitar Center, but... Sponsored by Guitar Center. <laughs> Sponsored by Guitar Center. Call us. Wait, so you got the... And what else you got? MXR and what? Um, so I get the carbon copy for Slap. Actually, I got a few pedals. I got... Uh, yeah, you got... Because you never know what you're going to get. You can do these gigs and they have a back line for you and they might have like some, you know, Sears Roebuck oh, amp. Oh, tremolo, you said. Yeah, I have a tremolo, Voodoo Lab tremolo, which... Uh, I should have a tap tempo for that too. I know. Uh, I know. There's a, they're making them now with different brands. Um, I also got a. Uh, it's called a Plexi Drive by Wampler, okay. which is like a. It's like a Marshall Plexi. Yeah. And it's really big and ballsy and fat and round. It's not yeah. like you know when you step on an overdrive pedal. So I kind of keep that on, just to give some dirt and. Girth. Gravitas. Yeah, and then uh, this thing, the Sex Drive, is a Charlie um, Sexton made pedal. Or I fucking a, love Charlie Sexton. Yeah, he's great. Shout out Charlie Sexton. We got to get him on this podcast yeah. too. Yeah, I'll watch he's, that one. He's a cool dude. Isn't he yeah. a friend of yours? He is a friend of yeah. mine. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you just use that for a little like boost, the push over the cliff. Yeah. And then that's it. So it's interesting that you that you're like. You know, between the rockabilly and then the New York Dolls and stuff, and even some of your solo stuff is like that real kind of traditional or classic rock and roll, or like you seem to gravitate towards that. Like, you know, even though you're capable of playing all this kind of technically proficient stuff, you go more in towards like the simple. simple. I love power pop. Yeah. You know, um, I love XTC, mm -hmm. which is not simple by any means, but... Uh, but none of it's simple. But, I don't mean it that know, way in any kind of derogatory way. No, no, no. I didn't take that way. But, you know, melodically, mm -hmm. things that are, you know, very singable. Yeah. Almost. You like a tune. Nursery rhyme-ish, you know, yeah. but uh, that, 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 that melody relates to the chords in a, you know, new way or a, a weird way. Right. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I love the raspberries and... Cheap Trick and yeah. Big Star and you know all those kind of bands, those kind of power pop bands. So how'd you get hooked up with the New York Dolls? One of those crazy, you know, you hang around this town for long enough, kind of. Yeah, you know everybody. You know. Uh, David Johansson uh, apparently uh, started asking around the guitar players that he knew and respected and had been playing with. Jimmy Vivino was one he asked. Uh, Larry Saltzman, who had played in his band, the Harry Smiths. And uh, maybe a few other guys, and he just kept hearing my name. They were saying, "Don't call anyone else. Just call Conti. He's got the right guitars, the right amps, the right look, the right nose, mm -hmm. <laughs> the right hair." So uh, he uh, invited me to lunch. Called me up. Um, we uh, sat there and talked about all kinds of other stuff. And then he goes, "I took the opportunity to make this uh, CD for you. You want to do this gig?" And it was at the uh, Royal Festival Hall in London. It was supposed to be one show for Morrissey, his meltdown thing he was curating. And um, it turned into six years and four albums. That's wild. And you know, the first show was with Arthur Killer Kane was still alive. I don't know if you ever saw I fucking saw that the documentary. Movie. Yeah. yeah. That, was a, that movie makes you believe in God. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I can't remember why, but I remember going, this movie makes me believe in God. What's it called? I mean, he waited. it's called New York Doll. 
Yeah. The dude waited 35 years. To, all he lived for was to see the dolls get back together again. And he right. must have been sick the whole time that, that we were rehearsing and playing the gig. Mm -hmm. And after the two gigs, uh, actually, uh, we played in June. And then we went home. We were supposed to come back to England to play with Marcy at uh, some stadium in Manchester. And Arthur's doctors told him he shouldn't get on a plane. He went to the hospital. They thought he had a flu. And 24 hours later, he died of leukemia. Right. And it's like, as if, you know, it held out just long enough for him to realize his dream. And then, yeah. you know. It was my brother actually filled in for him on that gig. Oh, so my really? brother did one gig as a New York doll. That's wild. And then we got Sammy Yaffa. Why didn't your brother just take the gig after that? He had some other gigs. He was playing with Roseanne Cash at the time. and Right. Yeah, he was committed. Yeah. Yeah, that, that film is super moving. I just got you, goosebumps. I didn't even know what you guys were talking about, but I want to watch it. <coughs> it's oh, inc yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, especially the scene where Arthur says the prayer right before the last gig. I don't know yeah. if you remember that scene. I mean, I was there in the room. It was like... I didn't think much of it at the time because I was like, okay, Arthur's a, um, um, you know, Latter-day Saints uh, Mormon guy. Right. And it was just, uh, you know, dear, our dear Heavenly Father, you know, we, we were all in his circle. And at the time, it was just like, okay, here's Arthur being, you know, Arthur being religious. And, and uh, then when I watch it in the movie, and I think, fuck, this was his last gig on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that he held held on to realize it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just belief in humanity. Yeah. The power yeah. of prayer, you know. Man, it's a shame he didn't get to make, you know, any of the, the rec new records with us, but. Yeah. But we made some good records, I thought, for at least the first one was really good. Second one was good, too, but it was a little rushed. Yeah. Who'd you make it did, with? Did you hear any of those? No. Jack Douglas did the first one. It was called, One Day It Will Please Us to Remember Even This. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a great title. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's David Johansson for you. Yeah. And then uh, the second one is called, Cause I Said So, which is a Sylvain uh, title. Or maybe it's a David Lyric, I don't know. But uh, the first one was Jack Douglas uh, here in New York, and the second one was with Todd Rundgren in Hawaii. Wow. I love Rundgren. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> speaking of power pop, that's another, you know. Yeah. Utopia and his solo stuff were, were all big for me. Can we still be friends and all that? <sighs> yeah. Couldn't I just tell you you know that one? Mm, not off the top of my head, but if I heard it, probably. You'd, you'd love it. Yeah. Yeah, so we did. What's David Johansson like? He's uh, such an interesting character. <clears throat> I, you should have him on the show. I tried. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just. He's very entertaining. Uh, he's, always, yeah. he's always on. Yeah. Yeah. He'll give you a good interview for sure. I saw him. What's that hotel? Tribeca. Roxy. The Roxy. Yeah, I saw he him do a, a solo, a there, solo yeah. gig there with like a piano player. It was so. It was one of the greatest concerts I've seen. It was just hey, the guy's just like super entertaining. Yeah, he's been doing the Cafe Carlisle. Yeah, residency. So, uh, yeah, but he's you know that Buster Poindexter lounge lizard uh, you know alter yeah. ego thing is is a real part of him. You know. He's, yeah, he's like from another era. Yeah. You know. He's an interesting cat. It's almost you know cat skills in the uh, in the Buster show. You know, like the uh, Borscht Belt kind of comedy. And then, uh, but it was funny. And whenever, you know, we would do gigs with the dolls, he would go, Buster Poindexter was the bane of my existence. 
And then when the Dolls was over, I was like, oh, David's Buster Poindexter again. Right. But um, Why? Because it was a big hit? and I guess. You know, he got sick of it. Usurped his other thing a little yeah. bit. And then he got a chance to be rock and roll again and like yeah. that for a few years. And then, hey, I'll probably do the same thing. He was yeah. doing Buster Poindexter at City Winery for like a couple of years. Is that right? Yeah. Like, con- like every couple of months, he'd have a show. It would sell out. People love that. Yeah. I went to the shows before I knew him, and um, uh, it was very entertaining. All my friends were in the band, right? So, <coughs> so then, but Excuse you, me. so you go to college. You went to music school too, right? I went to you, school for, um, yeah. I, you know, after high school, I took a year off and thought I'm just going to work. I'm not going to college, you know. And, uh, I started like burning myself out with uh, substances. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one morning I woke up on the lawn of a of a college, in the blazing sun, my nose pouring blood. Like, Damn. How did I get here? And I'm like, this must be a sign. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be like, educating myself. So next day, quit drugs, enrolled in school, and uh, kept going. How old were you? Nineteen. And did that keep the quitting of the drugs, or did no, <laughs> no? But it, but uh, but it kind of put a halt on the, on the bad stuff that I was doing, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, I dabble again over the years, and and uh, but never to that excess, you know. Right. And um, you know, I got scholarships to go to school, and so I was like, hey, why not? You know, I can either go to New York, and you know, I was. Check, always checking out the scene in like rock scene magazine and and you know seeing that what was going on at you know maxes and and tracks and all these places i probably could have gone there and got into that scene and i might be dead right now so yeah i'm kind of glad i went and got my education and uh you know i studied uh with a great jazz guitar player named ted dunbar who was actually a protege of wes montgomery that's interesting he was a yeah. professor there yeah i mean all the professors were jazz pros from New York. They weren't really right. professors, you know. They were cats that were out there really playing. Kenny Barron, I don't mm-hmm. know if you know who he is. Keyboard, he was my keyboard harmony teacher, amazing piano player. Um, so they were all like New York jazz pros, you know, international jazz pros. When you went in deep and learned all that stuff, it like mainly focused on jazz. Yeah, it was. Be- we learned nothing but um, 40s through 60s bebop. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much focusing on bebop, you know. Is that like Joe Pass, is that guy? No, he no. would not be included. No. Well, it was, uh, what is he? it was, I mean, he's great, and he plays stuff that was came out of that era, but it was mainly the hardcore guys, Thelonious Monk, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, Dizzy Gillespie. And you were learning that stuff on guitar? Yeah, I would like listen to the solos, write them down, or try, or just learn them by ear. It was not heavy on reading, I mean, I'm a terrible reader, Mm-hmm. Which is why, uh, you know, I never, I got into the studio scene here in New York a little bit. But when they started bringing the pages of music across three music stands, I would shit a brick and go. Do ah. they still do that? Type <laughs> oh, of shit? N- not anymore. Yeah, I that mean, seems that, like old world. I, yeah, I haven't done. I mean, there probably are guys that do that, but I don't get those calls. Thank God. Yeah, it's, it's too much pressure. Yeah. I, you know, a friend of mine recommended me once, and uh, and I was just shitting my pants, man. And I said, "Tell me how this goes." And she came over and she was like humming it in my ear. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I got that. Mm-hmm. And it took them, you know, like the whole band went home and I had to overdub my part. And I'm like, I'm never doing this again. 
So, so when you were there was no reading. But so. when you were t- getting that education, were you thinking I'm gonna still play rock and roll, or were you thinking I'm gonna go into jazz? My goal at the time was I wanted to be like Mike Stern or yeah. John Schofield, you mm-hmm. know, or Pat Martino, you know, like the guys that were came out of that tradition. Matheny. I like Matheny. I wasn't. I, I like him a lot more now. Um, yeah. Back then, he was—he really had that sound that everybody tried to cop. Yeah. And I just got kind of sick of it, you know, the chorus and the delay and, mm. um, or whatever it was that he used. But he's a fucking monster. He's so brilliant. Yeah. God. Um, but yeah, that's—I was tunnel vision on bebop. I mean, I had to go and do my gigs on weekends with my mom and my brother. We did like, you know, whatever weddings and lounges and whatever. So that kept so I was going. Making my bread that way. And I was still writing songs, but my my rock songs back then were heavily, you know, they had a lot of chords mm-hmm. and a lot of fancy chords. And I would play them for my sister, and she'd go, that's not rock. Right. <laughs> that sounds like jazz. I'm like, really? Yeah. So it took me a while to, like, work that out of me after school. Yeah, Lou and Reed said any more than two chords, it's jazz. <laughs> <laughs> well, that ain't true. But, 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 but it's uh, a good point, though. Yeah. It, it guides you in the right direction. Yeah. Well, I went, uh, so after school, I just went all the way back. I went back to, like, Muddy Waters and, and just, like, the simplest 12-bar, you know, old 50s, you know, Mississippi Fred McDowell and yeah. uh, Lee Hooker and and back to the Beatles and, uh, you know, got back to my songwriting and, and just the roots of everything. And the education was still in there, but, uh, right. and you know, it, I think it served me in, in a lot of ways. I think it, uh, you know, people get an attitude when they hear about it, like, oh, yeah, he went to music school. No wonder he's good. I've actually actually heard people say that, like, he cheated. Yeah. He got an education. Well, you did cheat, to be fair. (laughs) 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 But I taught myself. I taught myself rock and roll. I mean, that's what I play now. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've always played. But, uh, you know, when I was 13. When I was 13 and I learned Johnny Be Good, that was, that's, uh, the book's, you know, I was like learning out of the books. You know, my teacher would come over and say, read this. And I, I didn't know how to read. My, my reading sucked. I'd say, will you play it once? And she'd play it for me. And I'd go, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I just memorized it, you know. Yeah. Like, and uh, I'd play it back. And then as soon as I learned Johnny Be Good, that was it, man. The books went under the bed, never came out again. And uh, I just took anything I learned and applied it all over the neck of myself. And, and you know, till I went to school, I really didn't, you know, by that time I was already a pretty good rock and roll guitar player. I could play almost anything Jimmy Page could play when I was 15, 16. That's wild. So what's like the, like, and then like I heard you say something about how like Johnny Thunder style is a mix between Chuck Berry and someone else. Keith Richards. Keith Richards, that's right. How did yeah. I forget Keith? Yeah. So what's the similarities in learning in, a, in an environment like the New York Dolls and like adopting like a, a you know, sort of a, legends guitar style to a degree and making it your own what's the similarity in that education versus like jazz in a college environment are they similar completely different worlds i mean one has to do with you know music theory and harmony yeah and the other just has to do with balls spirit you know and yeah and and some of that but they must both go like somewhere crossover yeah i mean you have to move people you know? Right. I mean, no one wants to hear a jazz solo that's just a bunch of notes. That's you know that's why Coltrane is so like goes right through me when I hear him. But mm-hmm. I could hear 
you know, a million saxophone players that are influenced by Coltrane that don't do that to me. And they might be playing his same licks, but it's him. It's his soul. You know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you can't learn that. You, no. you, you can't learn, I mean, it's who you are, it's your personality, it's your, you know, it's your soul, it's your um, essence, whatever. You can and, learn You can learn a lot of things that facilitate a window into your spirit, but your spirit is what your spirit is. Yeah, I mean, I tried my best to get to what Thunders was doing. I would take, like, in the songs, I would take what I felt were the most... Um, the parts that had the most, um, I won't say personality, um, just the parts that had to be there, like hit, right. hit the riffs. I mean, a lot of a lot of stuff I, I added my own thing to, mm-hmm. but if there was any riff that needed to be there, I made sure I played it, and I tried to play it with the kind of balls that, that he played it with. Yeah. That's why I say you just, I just tuned into my Chuck Berry and Keith Richards and turned the amp up to 10. Yeah. And that's that was thunders to me. I mean, I couldn't get close to the, you know, I wasn't a heroin guy, so right. I couldn't get into that, you know, uh, aspect of it and, you know, the the life he led. That's, I'm sure, a lot of what informed his playing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I went Wh- the other way, you know. What way did you go? Well, you know, I stopped the, the stopped, chemicals and yeah. went and actually learned music. Right. Where he played the same way he played on the first Donald's album till the last Heartbreakers album yeah. or solo album no. yeah it's wild I don't think he was a guy who sat around and said let me practice right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so interesting though cause it's like it's like how, how do you like quantify somebody's soul or something it's weird like when 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 you put yourself in a simple frame like rock and roll it's just like how does your how does your contribution stand out in a way and how do you get to that because with jazz there's more of like a yeah like there's there's these sign posts like oh if you can do this or if you can do this and then like you know you know what i mean Mm -hmm. whereas with rock and roll it's just pretty much a reflection of your spirit yeah you know exactly and uh the more i think lost in the music you can get and more comfortable with yourself you know uh, yeah. the better performer you are and the better it comes off on stage i mean there were times when i think the worst i ever was was when i was studying jazz because i was so crit- self-critical because i right. knew how much i didn't know i think that's the yeah. thing about some rock and roll guys they don't know how much there is out there to know they just know the one little thing they know and they think they're great at it yeah and that informs their you know I'm badass. Yeah, and they put their and, whole life into three chords. Yeah, and you know, I I envy that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because I can't do that. I know how much I still don't know. Yeah, you know what I mean, I know. I do know what you mean. <laughs> I beat myself up all the time about it. You know, and then when you put out a record and you're like faced with just like, oh, is this it? Is this, what? What I could have written better. Like, you know, getting ready to go tour and all the anxiety that happens and stuff like that. It's it's uh. It's weird, man. It's a weird way to make a living, don't you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've... The first time I thought I was going to be able to make a living doing my own music was... Um, we had a band, my brother and I, called Company of Wolves. We were mm-hmm. on Mercury Records in 1990. And um, 
we actually, you know, for a couple of years there, that was our, yeah, this is it, man. We've, uh, we've arrived, you know, we're going to now be recording artists. We're going to make our living, you know, playing our own music. Obviously, we're yeah, going to be that, rock stars. That was probably in there somewhere, but, Oh, yeah, for you know, me, too. Like, I'm telling on myself, like, not <laughs> accusing you. Like, that's what I thought when, uh, Well, yeah, know. of course you think that. And then, uh, warm in here. Um, you know, but what was most important to me was was the music. I mean, I was I wanted to do all my solos over on that first album that mm-hmm. we did for Mercury. So I was like, oh man, this is you know I could have done is, better. Yeah, I could have done better. I went and I redid every solo. And oh, you, know you actually and, did and it. And then in the end, I went, nah, the first ones were better. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was also less than spending money. I mean, like you know, the budgets they gave you back in 1990 and 89 were insane for making records. They were. You know, I mean, what we spent on a week in the studio, I'd make two records for now. Yeah. You know, so um, uh, what was my point there? Just that you like revisited first takes, and that first take has something to it. Yeah, but oh no, we're talking not about even first we're, ta- takes, we're talking about you know making a living. It's um, so you know, a year later or two years later, when we made a second record that never came out on Mercury, it was like, oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna make a living doing this. Yeah. And we started playing with other people, and uh, you know, always making our own records or uh, me making my own solo records. You know, regardless, even if I pay for them myself or crowdfunded them or whatever. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, uh, since then, I've always played with someone else, at least one other person, to uh, pay the rent because I don't, I ain't got no job. Yeah, you know? me neither, <laughs> man. I'm trying to figure it out too. It you know? reminds me because I'm I'm working with Peter Buck on this new band called Arthur Buck. We <clears throat> we put out one record, but we just finished our second record. It's a cool name. Thanks, man. <laughs> it took us a long time to figure that out. Yeah. But, uh, and then I, w- I wanted to like add some lyrics to this one song and add this other part to this other song. And I wrote him about it. Like, what do you think about this? And he, he wrote me back just saying like, in all, in all my years of making records, like, you, you know, like after a record's done and then you like go back into it and fuck with it, it's never improved anything, you know? It's so, a moment in time. Yeah. The first producer I worked with used to say that, man, records are a moment in time. They're a moment and, in time, yeah. yeah it's funny, because I was just reading about the new Replacements uh, box set that came out, where mm-hmm. they pretty much remixed Don't Tell a Soul. Right. Which seemed like, I know they always hated it. Westerberg's one of my favorite writers. Yeah. And uh, it just seemed like an excuse, maybe, to uh, to remix that record. And then there's a bunch of live stuff on it. I mean, I, I'll check it out, but... Uh, yeah, remember when they remixed Raw Power? It was terrible. They put bass on it. Remember when Cheap Trick we recorded uh, in color with Steve <laughs> no, Albini? I don't remember that. Yeah, they did hated- that work? No. no, it doesn't work. Because no. yeah, records are a moment in time, and that's the way you kind of have to like. Because that's the thing. It's like it's a snapshot. It's like looking at a picture and wishing you could change your hair in the picture. Like, damn, if only I, you know, like head swap. Yeah. Photoshop. Like, yeah. And then you do try something like you stick another picture of your face <laughs> on top of the one. And it's like, looks more fucked up. You know what though? I've been able to give myself a break on stuff like that recently. Yeah. yeah how? You know? How I, do you go about I just, that? I just say, that's what I did then. Yeah. You know, I do. I listen to my, 
it's true. Uh, I do listen to my first um, solo record that, uh, without my brother, Steve Conti and the Crazy Truth, came out mm -hmm. in 2009. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I recorded it in my rehearsal room. So I wish I could go back in and fix a couple things. I, you know, it was done for no money, no budget. And yeah. Universal put it out, but um, you know, I wish I could go back. And there's some lyrics that I wish, oh, I wish I could change that line. Yeah. There's one lyric where I actually named this current president, uh -huh. which I wish I could go back in and change that. <laughs> and get him out of your song. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not gonna. Right. Um, well, like live, you can reinvent. Oh, it. I do. <laughs> yeah. I say. Uh, uh, mustache, lipstick, Franny, soaking up the free drinks like a chump. That's what uh -oh. I say now. <laughs> it was about Atlantic City and, uh, and a certain casino down there. Right. But uh, yeah, I won't name it. Yeah. I won't even say his name on this interview. We know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Rhymes with chump. <laughs> Rhymes with chump. Yeah. So yeah, man. So. And then also, didn't you do some stuff on Steve, Steve, Little Steven's label or something yeah. like that? Yeah, so I did, uh, my last single was for him, for Wicked Cool Records. Uh-huh. Gimme, Gimme, Rockaway. Right. And uh, that was good. It was, um, it was just a one-off single. I did a video for it. It's on YouTube. What's that called? It was fun. Gimme, Gimme, Rockaway. Oh, Gimme, Gimme, Rockaway. That's the name of the song. Yeah, it's the name of the song. And uh, filmed it at Rockaway Beach in fucking freezing November. Um... But it was a great band in the video. Uh, it's uh, Dennis Dunaway from Alice Cooper on bass and uh -huh. uh, Tish and Snooki from the Sick Fucks on background vocals. And, right. uh, and um, on the record, it's Clem Burke from Blondie on drums and Andy Rourke from the Smiths on bass. That's awesome. So, yeah. New York, yeah. New York dudes kind of, yeah. right? Yeah. And did you, do you, are and you Jesse Mallon. And Jesse Mallon. Jesse? Yeah. Shout out Jesse Mallon. Yeah, Jesse. And uh, yeah, he sings on the, uh, on the choruses with me. And uh, then the B-side, we, uh, I did, uh, I've been doing Janis Joplin's Mercedes Benz for years with chords, uh -huh. you know, so uh, I have my own version of that. And then I had Jesse sing a verse with me on that too while he was there in the studio, so. Right on. Did you, are you friends with Little Steven? Yeah. Yeah. We just swapped emails. We're trying to figure out whether I'm gonna do another single or album for him or whatever, but I just had to, He's been busy with his tour, so uh, I had to just go in myself and just start my new project, mm -hmm. um, regardless. So, uh, but I'm pretty excited about it. Is that but, what you're working on now? Yeah, I just went into uh, Atomic Sound in Brooklyn. Um, and Red Hook. Red Hook. Oh, yeah. Red Hook. Yeah, I do yeah. know it. Yeah. Yeah, we went out and cut ten tracks with Charlie Drayton on drums, who's just my favorite drummer in the world. He's amazing. He's fucking ridiculous. I know Charlie. Every song is just a groove. Fest. Is he producing it too? Or? No, I'm producing. Oh, Me yeah. and uh, Andrew Hollander, a friend of mine, a keyboard oh, okay. player, who I worked with uh, on a record before. Um, he's great. He's a real organizational guy and very musical, and he's a great musician. And um, it helps to have some. I can't do it all. I'm writing all the lyrics. I'm writing all the songs. I'm yeah. writing, you know, playing all the guitars. So we just went in. And we cut the basics. Just the three of us. My brother John on bass. Yeah. Charlie on drums and. Uh, we just knocked out ten songs in three days, and now I'm back home, like working out the overdubs. Right on. Yeah. You're doing recording at home. Uh, I have Pro Tools. Yeah, I have three choices. I can. I have a studio that I built in my home where I live. Then my brother and I have a studio in the music building. Mm -hmm. You know, on 38th Street. Yeah. Eighth Avenue, 
And um, Andy has a studio also, so I can do things either of those, any of those places. What kind of guitars are you using? Les Paul? Uh, Les Paul Jr., Telecaster, Les Paul, Zemitis, or what I used. Oh, and, and some ancient Epiphone, I believe, on one track, on like this 12-8 gospely blues, like an old, I don't know, must have been 50s, just no um, F-holes, arch top, uh, no cutaways, you know, round. Right. And a thin body, but hollow, uh, through a, a tiny little amp. So it's just like it sounds like you know what Guitar Slim would have used back in the day. What kind of amp? Uh, a Masco. M a s c o. Yeah, these are ancient things, like you know, early fifties maybe. That's cool. Really cool sound. Yeah, and you're writing all the songs. Yeah, I think there's one co-write with, um, with a guy. Did you ever hear a band called Flip? No. They were on Hollywood Records. Uh, my friend Bryn Aaron's a really talented guy. Co-wrote this one song with him oh, okay. years ago, and it, just getting around to recording it now. Sometimes, That's cool. sometimes it takes me twenty years to record a song. You know, I, yeah. I sit around and go, "Yeah, someday." And you know, I go through, I kind of get a core of songs that work, I think work together, and I go, "Now, what else would would work with this?" If I'm not gonna write twenty, you know, new songs, I go, "Is there anything?" And what does this album need? I'm like, this needs like some sort of soulful, bluesy, you know, gospel-y thing. And uh, so I pulled that song in. Do you get discouraged in the modern music business or are you encouraged or what, how, how do you keep your spirit up to do it? Because I find it difficult to not just kind of lose my mind. <laughs> I don't lose my mind. I, I probably get uh, a little like, Jaded and, and like yeah, that's what I mean. Eh, like these that. fucking kids, their laptops, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, it ain't gonna stop me doing what I do. Right. And, you know, I'm not gonna start doing that. You know. Yes. Yeah. To me, that has no soul. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's somebody who's doing that in a soulful way. Uh, but what, like beat-oriented stuff? Yeah. I mean, there's probably some. And yeah, I have heard some great hip-hop stuff. Oh and yeah. Whatever. Tons of it. But. Um, you know, the the ears are not open for rock and roll anymore, it seems, like the masses. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, I have lots of friends and fans that, you know, on the social media yeah. saying that, that love what I do and, you know, keep you, you encouraged. Know, crowdfund in my, my records and stuff. But Are you uh, crowdfunding now? Not yet. I'm going to get to a certain point and then, uh, you know, I just had to get it, get it going. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I'll probably crowdfund for the uh, mix and mastering and artwork and whatnot. Well, it just seems like music is kind of in a different spot than it used to be. Like when we were growing up, like it was just the most important thing. It was the news. It was yes. it was everything. And then it's kind of like, yeah. And it feels also like, I mean, I I'm a big fan of like like beat oriented music hip hop even a lot of the modern stuff I really like but it seems like there's been this sort of like subversion of music to where music like that doesn't have this kind of center of empathy is kind of like being sort of pushed further and further to the outskirts and I guess that's what you could also call rock and roll music you know cause like what is rock and roll music and, and why is it 
go, gone missing to some degree and it's like in its importance in the culture yeah i mean there's so many more distractions now right um, i mean when i was a kid it was you know fm radio i mean all you heard was you know queen and bowie and zeppelin and uh, mata hoople and t-rex and um and rock and roll was everything you know it was concerts it was you know everyone had long hair and you know yeah. and uh now it's just uh well i mean for decades now it's been that hasn't been the thing of course and that's cool you know i know things change and but uh there's so many more you know kids just want to be a star by being on youtube um like my my son he's 10 he started writing songs when he was seven no even earlier but we recorded his first demo when he was seven and uh or eight and uh after his first demo he was like great dad now we can put it up on YouTube and we can like put it on iTunes. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on, man. That's I didn't so even, wild. I didn't even get into a studio until <laughs> I was 23 years old, right? You know, you don't just make your first demo and you make a video and put it on iTunes and YouTube, you know? Um, Did he get his way? No. No? <laughs> no. He's got to record a few more songs at least. Right. But he's very talented, man. You're protecting his legacy. Well. What's his name? Zaya. Zaya? That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah so uh, he's... Um, Is he your only kid? No, I have two. Two? I have another one who's almost four. Wow. Baz. Baz and Zaya. Yeah. Nice. You're good yeah. with the names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my my wife's half Moroccan, so uh, she, you know, they get the Italian last name, so they get the uh, Middle Eastern first name. That's cool. Yeah, you recorded a video in Morocco, right? Yeah. yeah. What was yeah. that one called? Uh, what Would I Do If I Were Me? What Would I Do If I Were Me? Yeah, that was from my uh, Steve Conti NYC album. Yeah. Um, What's that song about? That was, uh, I literally wrote it walking my dog one day when I was living in the Netherlands. And uh, it just all came out at once. Um, it's about, uh, well, let me... I mean, I besides, don't know what it's about. Uh, it's what would like I do if I were me? I'd give me a home across the sea, live, live like the king that I could be. Yeah, well, that's what I'd do if I were me. Um, but why? But just, aren't, why aren't you already you? I was appreciating. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a little joke. I'm just getting deep. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, why am I not doing this? Right. You know, I mean, at the time, I was not living over there. Right. You know, um, and I was like, man, this life here is so, you know. Um, well, I mean, it doesn't have the energy of New York, of course, but uh, I just felt like, uh, and for music, you know, audiences are just so more, so much more appreciative. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get out there on stage, you know, you can see in people's eyes, oh, these guys are gonna create something right in front of me. You know, in New York, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, come on, do your thing. Yeah. You know, what have so, you got for me? Yeah, what do you got for me? <laughs> so uh, I was like, what's wrong with me? Why am I not? You know, why am I not doing this? And uh, yeah, and then it goes on to say, "What would I do if I were you? Uh, wouldn't do what they told me to. Wouldn't believe a word was true. That's what I'd do if I were you." Kind of talking to myself again in the second person. I like the concept of "What would I do if I were me?" Because it's like what I feel like life is just like this battle to live up to your potential, and it sort of speaks to that like I might not be living up to my potential. 
I or think am about, I looking too far into no, it? No, no, no. I think about it all the time. You know, I, I mean, I love so many different kinds of music. I think, like what you were saying before about, you know, I limit myself to this kind of music, which I love, and and I do it gladly. But I, you know, just yesterday I'm thinking, God, I'd love to do like an R&B, real R&B album with horns and you know. Well, you can age uh, into jazz know. too, bro. Yeah, I mean, oh, like that I, future. I plan on it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you can't do this you know tight pants thing forever well you know I mean? tell that to david <laughs> johansson well he's skinny as a rail he's so he, killing he it i mean it. he looks cooler than yeah. ever i mean yeah, it's yeah. like unbelievable you know i don't know it doesn't seem to have an age limit no but um keith i mean he's yeah. still killing it yeah those guys but well i guess that's what you love too i mean david you know he's he's also you know, loves old blues and, and old R&B and old jazz, too. So it's natural for him to yeah. do that. And it will be natural for me to do it when I do it. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, there's some guys that, like, just uh, they do that one that one thing yeah. that, you know, when you're 70, I don't know. I mean, hey, if you're the Stones and you're making a still killing at it, it still, you know, but... At a certain point, you know, it starts costing. You know how much it costs to go on tour, you know? Yeah. And You uh, mean out of your soul or out of money? <laughs> money. <laughs> I mean. And your you soul. Know, yeah, but that, you know, the the, soul the, the reward is, uh, well. the, the well, Feeds your soul, too. Nick, Nick Lowe uh, said uh, he had a record called Seconds of Pleasure, mm-hmm. which I think referred to, you know, all, all the... Sex. Hours, all the hours, no, all the hours in the day <laughs> uh-huh. that you spend on tour, getting ready for for those like, you know, couple of minutes of actually playing, you mm-hmm. know, um, that makes it worthwhile, as you know. Sometimes, you know, sometimes that stage can be rough, <laughs> but usually it's cool. I usually get on with it. Are you still playing, touring solo? I'm, yeah, I'm like building that back up. I'm like getting into the loop. I'm going I old school. I thought it was school. awesome what you did. Thanks, man. man. Yeah, I really dug it. Yeah, I'm having fun, especially like with this guitar, because it's just it's it's a machine made for live looping, if you ask me. Because with acoustic, you have to like, you know, to get that drum sound from the guitar, you need the acoustic for that 808 kind of kick that the piezo pickup gives mm. you. But also to be able to like riff over it and get different sounds, just like going electric, it's like really fantastic. I have to talk to you later about that because uh, was that the boomerang pedal you were using? I I use the Boss Looper now. I think it's the <clears throat> RC three hundred. It's got the it's the big board. It's got three different loops. Yeah. Yeah, because I play solo gigs as well, mm-hmm. and you know that makes touring a lot more affordable. Of course. Are you using it? Um, I haven't been. When I've done solo gigs, I have actually used a, a small, I had a jam man. Yeah, and, that was my and, first one. And I have a boss, that's a Digitech. And I have a boss, uh, the old maroon one, it's got two pedals. Uh-huh. I don't know what that's called. Yeah. Loop station, I think. Loop station, that's what I use, um, but the bigger one. Yeah, but I don't do it to the extent that you do. I mean, you do a great thing with it. Thanks, man. I'd love to be able to... Uh, Steal from you. Yeah, you can steal it. <laughs> I mean, Lord knows others have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just a joke. But like, but, like, you can, like, what's good about it is you can just lay down a simple chord progression and then solo over it so you can accompany yourself. That's, like, it's hard to solo. I mean, I guess jazz people accompany themselves without the loop. Yeah. But, you know. That's not For rock I'm... and roll, it works better. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when I've done it, 
the the loop uh, technology looper technology was not at the point where you could do that and loop a whole chord progression. Yeah. It was like, whatever, 30 seconds or whatever, and yeah. then it would cut off. Yeah. Oh, just about to the last chord of the progression. Man, if you just start doing it, you get it really easy. It's not that hard, I don't think. Don't tell people. Nah, I mean, everybody, <laughs> the cat's out of the bag on that one, homie. But yeah, I guess what I was trying to get to with the rock and roll thing and like current music versus like what we were kind of coming up with was the music seemed to like reflect our human our humanity more than it does now like i i'm not a, i'm not like an like an enemy of modern music or something i like a lot of modern music but it just seems like what's pushed on us more and more is like something that kind of reduces the human experience rather than embraces it yeah and uh I'm not an enemy of modern music either. It's just like the pop music that's shoved yeah. down people's throats that's written by, you know, 20 different songwriters mm-hmm. who just like one guy writes the track. I mean, it's so inorganic, yeah. you know, where, um, you know, it was a little too young for Woodstock, but I mean, back then, you know, music changed the world, you know, and, and, right. uh, and it was the voice of a generation. And, and uh, you know, we don't have that now. It's like, it's kind of disposable, the pop and... and yeah yeah it seems like music's become more disposable and then it kind of reflects humanity as being more disposable somehow to me i look into it like that like it's just like i don't know i can get conspiratorial about it you know where like i feel like they're trying to i don't know control us well i wouldn't doubt it uh you know because rock and roll is about you know Freedom. freedom exactly jinx and spirit yeah freedom yeah yeah, yeah. And your own life force coming out and you know right In- not getting squashed down yeah you know, but celebrated. The man. celebrated you know why do you think people love johnny thunder so much um well i think he was uh well, really unpredictable, so you never kind of knew what you were going to get when you go see him. I never saw him play live. Right. Um, Lord knows I was in town a lot. Uh, I moved here in, like, the mid-'80s, so he was mm-hmm. playing around quite a bit. But I never saw him. Uh, but from what I know about him, all my friends that have gone to see him and whatnot, you know, you didn't know whether he was going to show up, whether he was going to be super high, fall off the stage, die, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. So there was that element of like, you know, what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, when he did perform, it was, uh, you know, I think it was just like a car crash, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you got to watch it. And, uh, and you know, I mean, he really did sing about some, <clears throat> he had some uh, surprisingly poignant you know, views on things. You like, can't put your arm around a memory. Yeah, yeah which is, you know, a, a line from a from a honeymooners TV show. Is it really? Yeah, where where Ralph uh, Ralph goes, uh, come on, Alice. You know, she's she's leaving, and and he goes, Alice, you can't put your arm around a memory, and she says, I can't even put my arm around you. Wow. <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. But then he took it and made it, you know. A classic. Yeah, a classic. But he had songs like Help the Homeless, Society Makes Me Sad, you know. Um, where he was kind of, that was more of his like acoustic period. 
Yeah. You know, a lot of the other stuff was like Born to Lose, you know, the junkie songs, too much junkie business and all that. Yeah. But uh, it was entertaining for that that set of, of people, I guess, too. But, you know, he played with a band and he didn't give a shit about anything. Right. Which, you know, I give a shit. Yeah. Unfortunately. That's your problem. That is my problem. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, I always wanted to be good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't care if he was good or not. And I, and people love that about I certain know. people. But other people, if you don't care, you just get, like, you know, buried. I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm trying to get at, but just that whole thing about the, the spirit of abandon, the spirit of freedom, yeah. the spirit of rock and roll, and, like, how some people encapsulate it in a way that just people love, and then other people, it's it's more difficult. It's bound to happen either way, whether you're whether you don't care or whether you care, you know. But uh, I think I've gotten good at not giving a shit, right? You know, in the, especially since being in the Dolls, because it was not about anything I ever worked on as a musician. You know, right. it was about undoing all that and yeah. just getting underneath and, and getting to the the essence of rock and roll and and you know balls and guts and you know yeah. And if you then approach jazz now, do you think you could take that spirit into the jazz? I, I don't know if I can play jazz anymore. Oh, really? I mean, you know, I fool around with it at home. I got a nice jazz guitar from uh, um, the Swedish company, Hagstrom. Uh -huh. They've been very nice to me as well. Um, and I, I used it on one concert with my mom, actually, uh, a year or two ago. Um, but I would have to like go back to the woodshed for yeah. quite a while and and work that stuff out. But I mean, I still I know all the chords and all the you know I still hear the the lines in my head. I know what to play, but you know slow getting there because you know if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, right. It's like a muscle. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like your future. Like when you go when you turn back into a jazz guitar player, you're gonna be like super well rounded because you're gonna have all this rock and roll energy that you can put in like mike stern seems like he was like that yeah had a rock and roll uh, edge yes. to him yeah he likes hendrix and, and yeah and miles you know and yeah, yeah so. and had some problems with the old chemicals i mm -hmm. guess yeah so are you totally sober now or do you just dabble i dabble in uh the herbs yeah some weed you know. yeah that's no big deal <laughs> Medis <laughs> that's medicinal yeah plants yeah yeah, but so then you like uh, you learned Dutch, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. when I was living in the Netherlands, um, when did uh, you move there? 2010 through 13. Mm -hmm. And um, when I'd be off, to, I was I was playing with Michael Monroe, which I still am. Do you know who that guy is from mm -hmm. Hanoi Rocks? Remember the oh, band right. Hanoi Rocks? He's the singer. So I've been playing and writing and and with him, and we, I just produced co-produced a new album with uh rich jones the other guitar player and and michael fur um label called silver lining out of england and um when i first moved over there i, was, I had just left the dolls and michael was based in finland where hanoi rocks was from and that's what brought you there and uh yeah and the other guitar player was in england and the drummer was in sweden i was like i'm the only one in new york and then my wife got a chance to go back to school and study over there, which college and university is like 
almost nothing. It's like practically free. So I was like, all right, this could be a good a good time. I always wanted to live in Europe, so sublet my place for a couple of years and uh, was based in the Netherlands. And when I'd be off tour, man, there was nothing to do. Mm. We were in the south of Holland near Belgium. And it wasn't like it was in Amsterdam where I could go nuts every night and see music and, and have a big social life or anything. And I was there with the cows, you know, and the farms. So uh, I was like, man, I better at least come home with a, you know, with an education. So uh, I learned Dutch and took my citizenship test and passed. And uh, Incredible. So. I've never learned a language. <laughs> it it ain't easy. It you know, once once you get at you our know, age, <laughs> yeah, yeah, once you get past forty, but it keeps your brain young. They say. Yeah, it's actually been. Uh, I've heard it uh, prevents, prevents dementia. Al- Alzheimer's, yeah. dementia, which uh, some of my relatives have had. So uh, yeah, I try and speak it whenever I can. You still speak it? Yeah, kan Nederlands praten. Yeah, yeah. When me and my wife go out to parties, you know, uh, we have to be careful because you never know if there's a Dutch person around. But we'll, we'll, you know, we'll say to each other like, "This party sucks. Let's get out of here. Let's go home." But we'll be saying it in Dutch. We have like a secret language, you know. That's cute. Not many people speak Dutch. Well, she did. She she comes from Morocco. Is that what you said? Her dad's Moroccan and her mom's Dutch. Oh, okay. So, so she's so she yes. that's her native tongue, basically. Yeah. yeah. How'd you meet her? I was on tour with Willie Deville from Mink Deville. Uh-huh. And uh, another classic New York guy. And um, she just happened to come to the show one night. Her her mom and dad would usually go to the shows, and her dad didn't want to go this particular night. Her mom brought her, and our eyes met. And <laughs> It's a long, complicated story, but basically that's what happened. You asked her out. At first I was like, this is crazy. I, I can't be in a relationship with a girl from Europe, you know, blah, right. blah, blah. blah. And, um, and we started emailing each other, and we visited each other. And she came to New York to study, and then I didn't want her to go home. I said, let's get married. Wow. And 14 years later, two kids, I'm still as happy as, I mean, I can't believe it. I never had more than a two-year relationship before uh, I met her, so... That's amazing, yeah. man. Congratulations. Yeah. What's her name? Hedda. Hedda? H-A-D-D-A. Yeah. And do you get along with her parents? Oh, yeah. We're like really? buddies. Yeah, that's cool. It's like hanging out with my friends. So where do you live now? I live in the Bronx. Oh, in the Bronx. Okay. In the West Bronx. But I lived in Manhattan for almost 30 years, 29 years. And how much do you think it's changed? I don't miss it. I mean, I I miss, you know, when I come here and, and I, you know, I'm out seeing music with people I like. And I'm like, yeah, this I miss this. I miss a 24-hour restaurant delivery, you know, and all the great restaurants and, and you know, a variety of clubs and, and stuff. But uh, basically, um, it's changed a lot. You know, all the, the cool venues have gone um, and turned into whatever they've turned into. Less cool venues. Not even venues or you know. clothing stores. Well, Varvados is at least keeping the spirit alive of CBGBs. Yeah, it's, at least it's not a McDonald's. No, I like Varvados. Yeah, can't hate on it. Remember they no, used to do shows. There. Yeah, I played there. I played there. Yeah, me with, too. I played there with the Dolls. I played there yeah. with Michael Monroe, and I played there with my band, the Crazy Truth. Yeah, they put on some killer shows at yeah. one point. I saw um, the f- um, 
Who did I see there? Fucking Jane's Addiction played there. Or Perry Farrell. Yeah, I, Perry, yeah. yeah I think m maybe we were on the same similar show. I've seen they, a lot of shows there, though, but yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. He hasn't been doing them lately, has he? I don't know. J oh, Perry Farrell? No, uh, John. Oh, Varvatos, yeah. I don't think so. I don't know why they discontinued it. And he was starting to label with somebody. Yeah. So, you know, he's really into music, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Did you but, get into, like, the Strokes or any of the 2000-era rock and roll New York bands that are now kind of no. classic rock? Mm, not so much. No, the Strokes rehearsed down the hall for me in, in the music building. Um, no, I didn't. No, you weren't um, into it? I didn't really hear the whole record, but what I heard, um, uh, I mean, I'm glad they're doing it. Right. You know, but uh, I was into my own thing. You know, it was not, yeah. uh, uh, that was right when the Dolls was starting to come, you know, into my orbit. And, uh, yeah, I was just working on my own stuff and, and that, and, and yeah. uh, I kind of wasn't interested. It's interesting now, though, that those bands are classic, you know? like the I should go back and listen to them, because well, like, I, I never listened it? to the records. It's so. really good, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. Or maybe this is it. <laughs> this is it, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I liked, you know, uh, some of the artier, you know, the Radioheads, and, uh, you know, but I guess they're from the 90s, really. But, um well, they're UK too. Yeah, but New York bands. Uh, I mean, who else was there? Interpol. Interpol. Heard of them? Can't really say. They Didn't were, check. They yeah. were a little hard to get into for me. Interpol. I like them. But there you go. I can't think of any other one, <laughs> other than the Strokes and Interpol. So you just had a birthday, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you're a Libra. Libra, right on the cusp of Libra and Virgo. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a Libra. My birthday's in like two days. Oh, congrats, man. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Tough. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. I'm not into it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not one of these guys that has birthday gigs, you know. Where yeah. You know, I know people who have like big public birthday parties come celebrate my birthday. I just quietly, you know, all right. Quietly wait for it to pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's kind of hard with Facebook and, and all that, and people just like, it's your birthday today. Oh, happy you know, birthday! Yeah, and like people you don't even know. And uh, okay, I gotta like your comment. And you know, of course, I appreciate it all. But yeah, uh, it's like what did you? A uh, days of what did you do with Paul Simon? Oh, that was a crazy gig. So, uh, you know, the this is where I think the uh, the education came in. Um, had nothing to do with my guitar playing. I was uh, I was Paul's stunt singer. What's that what mean? <laughs> so when Paul, Paul would be rehearsing with a his dangerous with, note, you come in. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. But he'd be rehearsing with his giant, like you know, seventeen-piece band. You know, uh, his African bass player and guitar player and three percussionists and uh, you know horns and two keyboards and Steve Gadd on drums and and uh, he, you know. I would be off to the side with a microphone and a music stand and the, the Paul Simon songbook. And uh, he'd say, uh, okay, uh, guys, run that again. Steve, you take the vocal. I'm going to go out and do an interview. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I'm going to sit back and listen and hear what you guys are doing. So whenever he didn't want to sing or maybe if he wanted to save his voice, I would be Paul. That's interesting. That's bananas. How'd you yeah. get that gig? <laughs> uh, my friend uh, Mark Stewart, great um, guitar player, cellist, 
um, just multi-instrumentalist. He was in the band, and uh, I had known him, and he had played on my records that me and my brother had, and um, he recommended me. He knew my voice, and I don't know, for some reason thought I could do Paul Simon. And I was like, okay, yeah, because I had a couple of softer songs that he played cello on on a record, mm-hmm. and so I guess he heard that and when I wasn't like belting it out. So I had to really be kind of conscious to not, you know, sing too hard and, and yeah. drive the band too hard. But uh, you seem like you have a lower voice than Paul, though. Yeah. Um, or does it and work? It's raspier. Yeah. You know, he's got a very clean voice. And um, did you interact it, with him at all? Yeah. You know, pe- people told me, uh, "Oh, you better watch out, Paul. Man, he's tough." And but he was really um, respectful and and. Uh, um, encouraging you know even gave me a couple shout outs on the mic you know like great that was great steve you know that's how that song should be sung i was like okay it'd be funny if the paul simon made a record and then you were the singer on it (laughs) stunt singer (laughs) called stunt singer so what uh it's almost two already i can't believe how fast this went but um what do you do, like, to keep your spirit up and to keep your, like, you know, like, stay in shape, but both, like, mentally and physically? Like, do you have any rituals or do you just kind of get on with it? I just get on with it. I know there's a lot of, I have plans to do a lot of things. Me too, know? dude. Yoga. <laughs> I got. I want to start doing yoga. I want to mm-hmm. start exercising more. Yeah. I want to start eating better. I mean, I mean, eat pretty good. But, um you know, I don't limit myself. I don't, you know, I mean, sometimes I stop drinking for a while just to mm-hmm. like dry out, but uh, I'm not like a huge, you know, sometimes I hit it, you know, on the road, I'll hit it pretty hard. Mm. But um, yeah, I, journaling I used to do, that was good to clear my head and mm-hmm. kind of get everything out. But, you know, currently I'm not really doing anything except, you know, making a new record, which feels really good. Right. It always feels good to get stuff out when it's clouding my my head you know yeah. i find I, I got songs percolating in there and as soon as i get them out and onto tape yeah they leave my head and then uh, i can make room for more on my hard drive what's your like morning ritual do you wake up and play guitar or do you like deal with the kids and all yeah, that yeah wake up deal with the kids get them off to school mm-hmm. have coffee listen to npr wnyc while you're playing or no? No. I, I don't have a, a playing which you know, I, I regrettably do not pick up my guitar at home. You don't? No. Never? I'm not lately. Not lately? Not lately. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, I will if I'm like writing something or if, uh, but I don't pick it up to practice, which uh, yeah. is something I want to get back to. It's cool, man. I, I'm back into it, like back into practicing and it's like... I don't know, man. It, it's weird because when I'm not playing a lot of guitar around the home or my house um, or my apartment, actually. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Just downgraded from like, my, my home, my house, my The closet I live in. <laughs> you know, like I'll be doing yoga and running and all that, but somehow like when I get back into music, it subverts yoga. I don't know why. Well, singing does that for me, actually. What? If If I'm feeling like shit, mm-hmm. if I just start singing something, yeah, the fucking endorphins just come yeah. out. And, yeah. and I go, oh, I always forget that. Yeah. I got to remember that, you know? But, uh, you know, uh, 
with I don't know if you're married or have any kids, but no. but you know trying yeah. to get married then have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have kids then get right. married. Well, I could work too, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I find you know as far as not practicing, I mean I'm always playing, just mm-hmm. not at home. I mean, like when I had to learn this stuff for Robert Gordon, I mean I had to learn like 40 songs, uh, you know by you know with Link Ray and Chris Bedding playing guitar, which are the monsters, you know. Mm-hmm. So. I'm learning that stuff, and I mean, I'm learning, you know, I'm practicing, I'm really, you know, even though I'm learning stuff for a gig, I'm, yeah. I'm improving, I'm, I'm getting better doing that. So I don't feel like I need to sit down and go, da, 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 you know. No, not that. Scales. But I'm learning, I'm like getting better at finger picking and shit like that. Like That's I'll, what I was doing. Actually, uh, yeah. you know Tommy Emmanuel? No, the, the I, crazy, I don't know any yeah. names. Oh, dude, he's amazing. This, is, is this Australian guitar yeah. player. Okay, Tommy, I'll look He's at, just ridiculous. He's like a sick finger picker. He'll he'll play like three yeah. melodies at once. So he'll, you know, classical. I did a session with him at the winery. It was him and another guy. <sighs> Who's the there's some other older guy that plays with him? They're amazing. Yeah, you got to check him out. I'll and check I, him out. And uh, I just bookmarked all of his stuff. I just made a playlist on YouTube, and I was like, you know, taking lessons with Tommy Emmanuel, right. me, me and his videos for a while. And I was really trying to get that, uh, what do they call it, um, Travis picking. Uh huh. You know, where it's where you're just alternating the bass notes with, yeah. with the thumb, and uh, I got into it for a while, and then life happened, and yeah. fell get, by the wayside. But get you know, back into I'll, it. I'll get back into it. But yeah. that's that's a goal of mine. I want to be able, to, because you know, especially playing solo like like you do. You mm-hmm. know, like I heard you playing when I came in. It was like that is the kind of thing. If you can keep that rolling, yeah, and keep a rhythm going, and not just you it's know, more strumming, interesting strumming, than strumming. Yeah. But strumming is good to go into too, just to get it real simple and just like go for it. But so, like, who are your favorite? I mean, who are your favorite guitar players now? At this moment, yeah. Um, God, I don't really listen to. Uh... You don't listen to music anymore. <laughs> no, I hate music. <laughs> it's just my job, man. No. Uh, um, well, you know, I've been loving Link Ray and, and Chris Redding because I've been that's been on my plate you know so uh i've been loving that like hardcore old rockabilly just like natural amp sound Mm -hmm. um you know uh because it's like blends rockabilly blends like jazz blues and rock and roll which are three things i love and i haven't been able to put together Mm. you know uh, because it wasn't allowed right you know if you started playing a you know a 13th chord uh, you know in a rock tune people would look at you like hey uh, so uh, you know you can do that in rockabilly um, you can play 13th chords yeah I didn't even know there was something called a 13th sure. chord it's got a 7th and a 6th oh okay 7 plus, plus 6 I got well, it, get it. <laughs> I'm a quick study <laughs> yeah. that's cool Link Ray huh yeah Link Ray he was a badass alright I'm gonna check out Link Ray then yeah Rumble Rumble he was the first guy to play with Distortion Oh, really? Really. In the late 50s, he like didn't like the way his amp was sounding, so he like, jammed the, the cone with a pencil, and all of a sudden... Right. You know, and that kind of invented it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, had, I heard that before, and actually. And I think he was maybe the... Well, he was definitely one of the first uh, Native American rock and roll guys that I ever was aware of. I didn't know that. Yeah. What kind of guitar did he play? He, you know, he just had a fucking huge pompadour and black sunglasses and a black leather jacket. He played an SG and 
badass looking dude. Fucking uh, SGs yeah, are the SG. baddest ass guitars. Yeah, I, yeah think. I play a red SG like him. I got a gold top. I got a gold sparkle SG. Nice. Peter Buck gave it to me. I would like to replace the pickups in it though. Oh yeah, it's, it's pretty thin sounding. It's the stock pickups from Gibson. Do you have stock pickups in it? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I think so. I think it's a nice one. Like it's like custom shop great. or something yeah, like that. Gold so sparkle. They put like nice ones. Is in it there. like a gold top? No, like, it's like, like gold a, sparkle all oh, over the whole thing. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Neck too? Neck headstock. too. Headstock? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I left it at Peter's house in Portland, so I haven't been able to really jam on it. But You'll be there soon. I'll be there soon. Is yeah. he in Oregon? He's in Oregon, yeah. yeah. You ever been to the Dandy Warhol's place there? The audit- <laughs> auditorium? I'm trying to think. I don't think. Maybe I went to a party there yeah. a long time ago. But uh, one of them works at a music store and uh, that Peter and Scott McCoy go to all the time and got to say hey to them there. But, yeah, do the you cool know people. those guys? Yeah, I bet. We went to uh, the Dolls. Did, um, we went to uh, dinner there one night, and then we jammed and recorded, and it's just a crazy place, man. Mm-hmm. It's like a fucking airplane hangar full of gear. Yeah, you they know, were like smart. Vintage gear, yeah. They, got, they put their money into that, and then that went way up. So, <laughs> good yeah. business dudes. Yes, they are. What? Um, so, are the New York Dolls done, or are you guys still? Yeah, they're done. I, I, it's done. I left in 2010, and uh-huh. uh, they went on to make one more album after me and Sammy, the bass player, left. And um, and then I think they did a tour the following year, 2012, and then they knocked it on the head. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um, did you meet Morrissey when you did that gig? I met him a couple times. What was he like? Um, Is it true what they say? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Morrissey. Um, he was kind of, uh, you know, very kept his kept his, his mystique. Yeah. You know, uh, he would come in and and you know we did a, a little tour with him. Right. And um, you know he come in show his face and say hi but it was not like deep conversations like right. like this were you a fan no no i love them i mean i like how soon is now and uh i like andy rourke the bass player a lot yeah he's a cool guy he played on my record and uh and he sh- actually showed me how to, how he plays how soon is now which uh was killer i filmed it with my phone someday i have to that's cool. Put that out there. But, um, yeah, another one of those bands I never really listened to and gave a, whole, gave a chance to the whole thing. Yeah. There's a lot of those kind of bands, you know. I, I kind of heard the, the important big ones that, for me anyway, you know, The Clash and, the, mm-hmm. you know, XTC and The Pretenders and The Pistols. Chrissy Hines from Akron. I know. So and, and Guided by Voices from Dayton are yeah, one of my yeah. favorite bands ever. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Are they still doing it? Yeah, Pollard. Uh, yeah, he never st- stops. Yeah, he's always doing solo records, but uh, I don't know then, who's in the band now? But they're still. Tour. I think Doug Gillard is back with him. Do you know Doug from Brooklyn? I don't know. Uh, should have him on. He's a badass. Guitar. Oh yeah, I'm taking notes. Take notes. Yeah. So, and and what's your brother doing now, John? He's been playing with Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes for the past decade or so, and um, yeah, early we just Elton. Did, with early, yeah, he's Rich doing Pagano. like a. Yeah, he's doing like an Elton John uh, thing where they do, they recreate like the early stuff, you know, before he got all 
frilly with the arrangements and stuff. Just the basic piano bass drums. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing that. We're, we also have a band together called Blues Deluxe, which you filmed. Bunch of times. Um, where we do all the old um, Faces and Jeff Beck group, and Rod Stewart stuff. That's always f- really fun. Um, I'm not sure what else he's doing. So maybe I can get I him to come like out and play with me. Your brother plays with everyone. Every time I go to City Winery, he's on stage with somebody. Now I know he did the thing with uh, the Leon Russell thing with Joseph. But did uh, you see the Elton John movie? No, I haven't. Have you? Oh yeah. Is it good? Made me cry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hit my emotions that one, <laughs> but you know, I don't so, know. Not everybody. I don't think. I don't think everybody took it that seriously. But it, for me, it was moving as hell. I saw the Queen movie. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. What did you think of that? It's all right. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, Brian was involved, I guess, and the guy looked a lot like Brian May and, and mimicked the uh, hand movements really good. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's always so hard to watch those kind of movies, you know. Well, it's hard to get the real spirit of rock and roll. Yeah. Like it's hard to talk about it. It's hard to quantify it. It's hard to like identify it, and it's hard to pinpoint it because it's, it's, it's a wild, you know, feral cat running around the cosmos. This rock and roll thing we're trying to talk about. Talking about music is like dancing, dancing about, about architecture. architecture. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should call this podcast, Dancing About Architecture. Is it? There should be a podcast called Dancing About Architecture. Whose quote is that? I think I just found the, the title for my new album. Oh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't know whose quote that is. Whose is it? I don't know, but it's famous as hell. Yeah, we should Google it. I will. Yeah, well, I got a roll, I think. Are we done? Yeah. Are we done here? here? Yeah, I think. Uh, let me see. Uh, oh, be there two fifteen. Oh, we got Joe's like we got another meeting. five five ten minutes. Yeah, I got a business meeting. But uh, good for you. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, because I'm getting ready to tour and do all that. I'm doing a co-headlining thing with Jesse Mallon. Oh, nice. October and November. Solo. You? I'm I'm doing solo. He's gonna have the band. We're gonna roll around in a Sprinter van. Nice. And be like you know, and 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 go for it one more time. You know, gear the whole thing up and, you know, see what happens. What's the label now? It's my own. Oh, I, it's called Moon Age Rebel. Uh, that um, You know, kind of a Bowie mm-hmm. spinoff. I used to have one called Lonely Astronaut, and so we, I tried to change it a little bit to still space theme. You know? <laughs> nice. Moon Age Rebel. It's a pretty good title, right? Yeah, and you had a studio called Rebel, Rebel Country. Country. Yeah, and that was out in Red Hook. But... um yeah, just doing it independently. Good. So we'll see what happens. Distribution? Or yeah, I mean, he's he's my manager's pretty good at all that. He's taking care of all that. He's getting distribution. We're doing vinyl and CDs. And, you know, we got a bunch of radio sessions. Like, I'm going to be doing KEXP and KCSN out in L.A. and FUV and stuff like that. So it's going well. Like, it's going as it would be going if there was a label involved, you know, so. Well, and the record is like you perform live. It's just there's not a band. That, no, there's band. There's musicians. It's like you know, full production. Name the guests. You got some big guests on your record. Yeah, um, Jimmy Paxson on drums. Um, Marley Monroe singing. Ben Harper singing mm-hmm. on it. Um, Greg Dooley. Greg Dooley. Thank you. Yeah, Jesse Mallon. 
Um, these are some guest singers. By the time this podcast airs, the album will be out already, and you'll be in the tour. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So come see us. Look yeah. look us up online and come to a show near you. What about you? Are you touring anytime soon? Or? I'm just going to finish this record up, and uh, which could probably take a while because I'm about to go to Europe with Michael Monroe to oh, okay. support the record I just did with him. What's that record called? It's called One Man Gang. One Man Gang. And um, That should be my album title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk about it with Keith at the meeting. Also, Chris Seafried is on my record. Oh, produced. Produced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out, Chris. Yeah. So, am I forgetting anyone? That's all I, I know. Hmm. I forgot See, Seafried. you put me on the spot. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Who mixed well, it and produced it? Um, Seth Horton and mixed it and you know I produced it and Chris Seafood produced it Fred Kevorkian mastered it oh yeah it's called, it's called Comeback World you know Fred yeah what about Jack Knifley uh, well that's the Arthur Buck oh that's record. Arthur Buck okay um, you worked with Fred uh, uh, not personally but Rich Pagano always works with him yeah, yeah. he's the guy he's the guy man because uh, i need i need a guy in, dude, in town uh, i want to attend my next mastering that's been, your guy i've been a guy uh, who um did all the tom petty records and dixie chicks in nashville great but uh i have to send it down there and i can't attend the sessions go so. to fred a hundred percent a hundred percent he's amazing jesse does all his records with fred i've been doing working with fred for years and you can and he's a cool dude i mean he's french but He's cool. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's super cool. Um, And um, yeah, you can go sit there with him, and you know. Yeah, because we did this uh, when we recorded this record. We did it to tape, right? Through a Neve onto uh, a 24 track, and you know, I listened to it. I can hear the hiss, the heavenly hiss. Yeah, I love it. Um, you mixed it to tape. So, too? No, it's we, we, it's only been tracked so far. So I have to. Oh right. I have to do everything. I have to do vocals and overdubs. The drums sound but, so uh, much better when they're <sighs> recorded on tape, especially when Charlie Drayton's playing them. I mean, he's the best. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Charlie Drayton. We should get him on the podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. Send me his contact. Well, thanks for doing this, Steve. Yeah, man, my yeah. pleasure. Joseph. I hope you enjoyed Thank it. You. Thanks for having me. I did a did lot. You enjoy it. I just realized That's that uh, for. It won't matter for the audio, but for your uh, cutting consistency, yeah. uh, you'll be going back and forth between my shirt on and, uh, I mean, my jacket on and off. Oh, so that's okay. It goes, sorry, folks. Th- you know, it goes, it they'll goes, see you take it off. Yeah, they'll see you take it off. <laughs> It'll make sense. We, we won't put the front at the back oh, and the see, back that's at the what front. We don't, we don't chop around. <laughs> what you see is what you get. Yeah. My mama told me. You better chop around. Oh, chop around. I should have seen that coming. <laughs> Damn. What the fuck? <laughs> Support us on Patreon. Thank you for all our current supporters. Yeah. Listen, subscribe. You got a final question, Ehud? We got into a fight on the Alejandro yeah, Escobedo podcast. It wasn't a fight. Two of you? Argument, me, argument. me and Ehud did. And we left it in the podcast. Yeah. It's always good television. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A little drama. Go viral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I actually did have a question just because it's a friend of mine. You, 20 years ago, toured with Willie Nile when oh, you yeah. were doing oh, yeah. this whole comeback. Can't believe we didn't bring up Willie yeah. Nile yet. And I'm putting my jacket back on, folks. Well, that's and, inconsistent, Steve. Come on, well, you bro. Have to, now you have to keep this scene in. Okay. <laughs> See, it's back on. Yeah. So how was Willie back in Willie Nile. Yeah, Willie. Talk about, uh, talk about the spirit of rock and roll, Willie yeah. Nile. Willie. All right, so... 
uh, Willie was the first guy I ever toured with in Europe. And once I did that, I was like, then what would I do if I were me? You know, yeah. that, that whole concept. It was like, <laughs> what am I doing living in the U.S.? Uh, because people there were just so... Uh, Appreci we toured, we, appreciative, yeah, appreciative of art, of art like, and music. It's and, like yeah, and Italy. We toured Italy. Oh and man, just the, Italy's you know, so fun. I mean, I'm Italian. You know, it just felt like home the minute I got there, and the you know the people and the wine and the food, and it was like, can we do this all the time? Right. Can so, we just enjoy life all the time? Yeah. And that was Willie's like comeback record that he hadn't. Uh, I think he just took, took a twenty a year break, break or something, yeah, right? So this was '99. Beautiful wreck of the world. Um, it was great. I loved working with Willie, and I played with him a few times over the years, you know, back here in the states in New York. And uh, I'm actually going to be playing with him again on uh, when he does the 20 year anniversary of Beautiful Wreck. At I don't, is it the Cutting Room or Cutting Room? I there's think. two gigs. There's Mercury a Cutting Lounge, room maybe and Mercury Lounge. Yeah, one we're going to do Beautiful Wreck, and the other gig we're going to do some of Beautiful Wreck and excuse me, some of the other songs, but uh, yeah, I talk about a, a spirit, man, and you know. How has this energy changed in the last 20 years? Not at all. Not at all. No, really. Same. Dude is wild. Really. Yeah. He's got a big spirit. Yes, he does. He does. Yes, he we does. love him. I love him very much. I can't wait to do it again with him. I had a blast. That's cool, man. Well, keep rocking, dude. Thanks, man. You too. Yeah. And uh, hope to see you around. Yeah, definitely. Doing, gonna play some shows in New York? Doing um, Rough, Rough Trade, Trade on the Oct store in Brooklyn? O October 26th. Shit, I'll be in Europe. Anything else? Mm. In November or? You know, me and you are lifers. We're gonna cross paths. Yeah. I don't think I have any other ones in, uh, in this tour for New York. Buffalo, New York, I'm talking to them. That's kind of. That's I, I actually lived there when I was a kid. Oh yeah? Man, snow over my head. Right. You know. Well, at least yeah. from Buffalo. Same with Ohio, with the snow over yeah, your head. Yeah, yeah, thing. Lake Erie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same, the same, a same accent too. Yeah. You guys say roof or roof? roof. You say roof or roof? Roof. Uh, okay. Roof. Roof. I don't know. Roof. People yeah, there was, rough, the, there was like yeah. an upstate accent. Everything was like this. It's like the yeah, that the had, vowels like that, yeah. like the Chicago, <laughs> Buffalo, yeah. you know, Ohio. <laughs> I don't know about Akron, but uh, yeah, cool. All right, cool, brother. brother. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. See y'all. Thanks, everybody. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.